in our, in our church. So we're going to look this morning uh, at Hebrews chapter 3. If you will turn there in your worship folder or up on the screen, we're going to read this aloud together from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. And as, our, as is our custom, let the people of God read the word of God together. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardness, but deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about these words. Radical. Epic, revolutionary, transformative, life-changing, extreme, ultimate, awesome, on the edge, explosive. I mean, you could add to that list a whole other set of modifiers that have become, ironically, part of the ordinary conversation of the church over the last few years. Uh, most of us have heard expressions like that so often, in fact, that they've become sort of rote. And I was a youth pastor in the 90s where this was especially our language. And if you grew up going to youth group in the 90s at all, you had extreme Bible studies and ultimate discipleship plans and awesome youth Bibles, right? All that was property of youth ministry at the time. And, you know, we, we might, although we may be like a little jaded by the ads, we all need to take things to what? A whole nother level, too, right? Uh, by contrast, ordinary is maybe one of the loneliest words right now in the English vocabulary. I mean, who wants a bumper sticker on the back of their car that says, my kid is an ordinary student at Bubbling Brook Elementary School? Like, nobody has that. Nobody wants an ordinary job with ordinary friends and live in an ordinary house and have an ordinary life. We don't want ordinary. We want extraordinary. And yet I sense, in a lot of ways, the church has gotten kind of tired of that. And we've become a little bit cynical about that. Like, not everything can be extreme and radical and awesome all the time. And I can't. And you can't. And so ordinary, though, we need to think about that word. Because ordinary doesn't mean mediocre. It doesn't mean... uh, that it's, it's foolish. I mean, artists and athletes and architects, you know, there are a lot of people in, in different hobbies and trades who can testify to the value of small things done over and over again in a way that over time produces excellence. Ordinary is not a bad word. And we're doing a short sermon series during the month of January on the ordinary means of grace. And there are those practices that are given to us by God, that when applied in our lives over and over again in ordinary ways, connect us to these deep and profound gospel truths. So like these these really matter. And, and, And this is our longing. This is my passion. This is our passion as a church that Christ would be formed in you, that you would more and more look like, smell like, be conformed to the image of Jesus, that you would become more and more Christ-like in your life. And last week we looked at the first of those, which is 
corporate worship together, the very ordinary, regular act of coming together with God's people in worship. This week, we're going to look at this one, fellowship with other believers. And I can't think of a more boring, ordinary word in the Bible, especially in the modern church, than fellowship, right? It just, it, it doesn't move us, that word. Uh, but to help us get at the idea of what biblical fellowship is supposed to look like, I want to swap out the name for that. And I want to call it this morning, spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship is something that your soul needs in order to flourish. You know, friendship is a big theme of Scripture. The Bible tells us, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And Jesus in his earthly ministry, broke all kinds of rabbinical tradition. When coming to his disciples, he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but I have called you friends. That was absolutely unheard of and really bizarre behavior for a, a, a rabbi in the first century, that Jesus would call us friends. This is why we sing that song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Like that is an, an relationship of closeness and intimacy that Christ is describing for his disciples. And all spiritual friendship really follows in the footsteps of Jesus's friendship. It follows that pathway. Paul wrote letters in the early church that said this, the friends greet you. Our churches should never really stop talking about friendship. You know, the first century Christian growth of the early church was marked by an explosion of spiritual friendship that went across the Roman Empire. It was like a bomb that detonated, but it was like, instead of being a destructive one, it was a life-giving one, over and over, aftershocks of this. But of course, spiritual friendship is really different from our TV show friends. It's different from a lot of our modern views of friendship. Uh, That's why... Uh, That kind of friendship is what I'm going to call buddies. Uh, Or, you know, a lot of people are looking for that, your BFF, your bestie, right? You're looking for someone who is samesy-samesy, has all the same common interests and background and all the, the hobbies. Maybe you're in the same stage of life, but that is not what I'm talking about. Spiritual friendship is of a different source. It has different resources, and it has a different goal. And so here's my outline for this morning. It's really three words, within, without, with. So it's the enemy within, the thing you can't go without or shouldn't go without, and it's the practice of with. Okay, so within, without, with, if you take notes. So let me jump in first like I did last week and do the thing I'm not supposed to do and give you my application at the beginning of the sermon. It's my hope it's, it, it's my desire that in applying this message, that you would make a commitment this year to pursue spiritual friendship every week with others in the body of Christ. That you would prioritize that, that you would protect that, that you would pursue that. That you give energy to that as a main thing that you need. So let's talk about the enemy within. Did you listen to the warnings of this passage? Did you, did you hear this? It reads like a bad doctor's report, and I think that we may not have heard how uh, dire the diagnosis is. 
in this passage. Listen to what it says. Every one of you, every one of us, all of us have a sinful, unbelieving heart that has this tendency to turn away from the living God and toward being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I know that you don't believe that. And the reason I can say that confidently is that I don't believe that. (laughs) I don't believe that's true of me. That I have a sinful, unbelieving heart that has tendencies to turn away from the living God and be hardened by sin's deceitfulness? No, no, no. I am very self-trusting. I believe I got this. I I believe uh, I have this inclination to believe that um, I'm self-sufficient. You know, to think that I'm good on my own and I don't need anybody. All under control. I think that's what every one of us believes. That is hardwired into American life. And especially, can I just be so bold as to say, this congregation, there are a lot of very accomplished, very successful, and super independent people in this church. And you're led by the chief of one. Right? Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just your pastor. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just talking about me this morning. But like, I, I think that this is really us. You know, we're, we're, we're slow to ask for help. We're slow to reveal areas we're struggling. We're slow to reveal to other people that we, we need others. And it's because deep down, there's this self-sufficiency. So let me give an illustration of what this is like and why this is so dangerous. Let's pretend. Let's pretend that you're driving a car on a country road late at night. And you're driving this, this back road, curvy, curvy road. It's really dark. There's no street lights anywhere. And on your right side, as you're driving the car, is a ditch and some trees and houses. On your left side is the yellow line and other cars coming at you. Now, this car, the thing about this car is it is out of alignment. Now, some of y'all are drivers. You have a driver's license. Some of you are not yet. Right? So here's what it feels like to drive a car where the, tire, where the wheels are out of alignment. It pulls. So it pulls, and you have to concentrate and work against the pull to stay in the lane. Now, if this car, the alignment is pulling left, then you have to kind of concentrate to keep it from going over the yellow line as you're driving. You have to pull against that and be very aware of the car. If it pulls right, class... What's the danger for the car? What are you going to drive into if you're not paying attention? The ditch, right? You're going to drive off into the ditch. And so you're driving this back country road by yourself, and this is your heart. All of us have tendencies. All of our hearts are pulling one way or the other, and we have these self-destructive tendencies where we are either going to hurt ourselves, drive off into the ditch because we're not paying attention, we're self-trusting, or drive into another lane and potentially hurt another person. That's your heart. That's my heart. That's what we are like. We are a car out of alignment, and we have these tendencies, self-destructive tendencies, other destructive tendencies. Each of us have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God and is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And what's more scary than that is that you say, on top of that, no, that's good. I got this. I got this. Last week I said the problem is, uh, uh, one of our problems is that we don't think we're sick. Today I want to say this. Uh, I want to add this. We think we can trust ourselves. You think the, the one person you never question so often 
is self. I got this. I'm good. There's a songwriter named Gordon Mote who's rewritten the words, just one line of the song Amazing Grace. Now, I'm going to see if you can spot it. This is, what he's, this is how his version goes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now, and now am found, was blind and I still am. And I'm like, amen. That is true. Was blind and I still am. I have blind spots. Things I can't see about myself. You have a real problem. You have this deadly cocktail that you're sipping on that's hardness of heart, deceitfulness of sin, turning away from the living God, and a little mixer of, I got this. That's a deadly, deadly cocktail. I can't think of a worse combo. It's an enemy within that is super dangerous. And of course, the gospel is the answer to these things. The gospel, God intervenes with sinners. Thank goodness I would drive off into the ditch all the time. I would drive into the other lane and hurt people all the time. Listen to how one, this is one long dead pastor named Thomas Goodwin. He puts it in this way in his book, The Heart of Christ. He says this, Though Christ is now in glory, do not let that discourage you, for he has the heart of a husband toward you. Being betrothed to you forever in faithfulness and loving kindness, take this as one incentive to obedience, that if he retained the same heart of mercy toward you which he had here on earth, then his answer to his answer, love, his to answer his love, endeavor to have that same heart toward him on earth that you hope to have in heaven. He's saying this, this is the heart of God. This is the very heart of Christ toward sinners. It is always merciful. God doesn't um, run out of, of compassion for you. He doesn't say, stop it. I'm just so tired of your reckless driving. God is full of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Amen? That's the heart of God toward us. And yet, this, this, re, this realization, I once was blind and I still am, you know, that should inform the way we look at our discipleship, a discipleship that needs to be embodied with other bodies, with spiritual friends, with others who can speak in. This is the thing that you shouldn't go without. You know, it, Christian growth is much more than me and my Bible, me and my favorite podcasts, me and my favorite Christian authors. It's me with other believers. You know, I, I've read and, and studied this passage before, but it wasn't until I was preaching on this this time that I noticed something I'd never seen in this passage before, the mutuality of this passage. Now, I want to see if you can hear what I did not hear. Listen again to how this passage goes. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, but encourage each other as long as it's called today. But it doesn't say, take care, brothers and sisters, that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. It says, take care, brothers and sisters, there will not be in any one of you, in one of you, an evil, unbelieving heart. Do you get it? You hear what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing in this passage? 
what I missed over and over again is this isn't just a warning to me to watch myself. This is a warning to me and you to care for one another. This is a call for us to have some sense of mutuality and responsibility for one another. You know, for years, I lived as if friendship was an icing on the cake. It was an extra thing. You know, that's for other people. It's an, it's an option. Uh, I mean, Superman don't need Robin. Batman needs Robin. Superman don't need Robin. Right, I'm good. I got this. And yet, God has woken me up to the deep need I have for spiritual friends. And God has provided these people in my life. But, you know, I need people who come alongside me and challenge me and encourage me and, and speak in and, and show me that, that people who are very much about Christ and his exaltation in my life as well as their life, who, who are people who are um, committed to fulfilling all the one another in com- commands of Scripture. Have you listened? Have you gone back? This is a great study. I, I guarantee that you'll get a lot of, out of this. If you go back and just open up your New Testament... And you can do a word search for all the time it says one another. And you go and read all the one anothering passages in the New Testament. Here's here's just a sample of them. Love one another. That's repeated 16 times in the New Testament. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Build one another up. Be like-minded with one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. You can go on and on. I mean, there are hundreds of admonitions, if you line them all up, that are one anothering passages in the New Testament that you can't do by yourself. You can't fulfill any of those alone. I heard Pastor Ray Ortland years ago talk about spiritual friendship. And he put it this way, it really stirred me. He said, the greatest sin, maybe the greatest sin in the evangelical church in America is the sin of unexpressed love. I was like, really? We, we, we don't, we're not demonstrative and careful to express love for one another. He says, it's such a big problem. And he pointed to Romans 12, 10. He said this. He's like, this is my, one of my favorite verses for the church. Outdo one another in showing love. He said, that's the only competition where everybody wins. You know, when pastors in generations past, they would preach on spiritual friendship do you know what passage we would all go to? Come on, y'all. Come on. I got some Bible nerds here. Old Testament, 1 Samuel 23. David and Jonathan. There we go. David and Jonathan. And David and Jonathan, it's, it's a story of deep and profound friendship between these two men. Two men who really had no reason to be friends. They were rival families to the throne of Israel. And, you know, what's, what's, what's sad about this is, when we preach on this passage now, or when people discuss it now, people are always asking, well, what else was going on there? You know, was there come some kind of homosexual attraction in that relationship? Which, there's nothing of that in the passage, but it's just that we're in a culture now where we can't imagine non-erotic same-sex friendship being deep and profound. That's not a commentary on the Bible. That's a commentary on us. We've lost the value of deep, powerful, spiritual friendship. You know, Dave and Jonathan, like I said, they had zero reason to be friends. 
But in 1 Samuel 23, it says this. Now, David saw that Saul, the king, had come out to seek his life when David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, who is Saul's son, set out and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Literally, this is what the passage says. Strengthened his heart in God. Strengthened his heart in God. I, I wonder, I just wonder, how many of the Psalms were inspired by that friendship? Were, were a lot of the content was even drawn from, this is the way that God relates to us as a friend. You know, encourage one another. This is the, one of the great purposes of spiritual friendship. We need those friends. We need those to become those kind of friends. Now, here's test number one. If you have spiritual friends or you have a BFF, because I, I'm very convinced the modern church confuses the two. Spiritual friends talk to each other and strengthen one another in God. They talk about their relationship with God. They confess sin to one another. They talk about what they're learning about from God. If you have friendships where all you talk about is the greatest restaurant you went to recently, that's not spiritual friendship. That's a bestie. You know, encouragement, that's a part that everyone wants, isn't it? I mean, anybody here not want encouragement? Kind of like, I'm just, I'm kind of done. I've had plenty. No? No hands? Anybody under the tent? I don't, I don't see any out there. I don't think we're filled up on this one. I mean, who doesn't want to be encouraged? But, but there's another side to spiritual friendship that we may not be as uh, excited about. It's the confrontation. It's challenge. It's speaking the truth in love. You know, another word for encourage in this passage is used in other translations. You can look these up when you get home. Warning. Exhortation. That's a, that's a different kind of encouragement, isn't it? That's the kind maybe we, we, we don't like. So let me use another car analogy. So remember the car with the alignment issue? Let's pretend that this car is a driver's ed car. Okay, now what does a driver's ed car have that a normal car doesn't have? Anybody know? They got an extra brake pedal, right? So the, the passenger side, so the driver's got, right, the gas and the brake, but in that car, also the passenger has a brake. Why? So when you're driving in driver's ed, that instructor can stop very fast if we need to. This is what spiritual friendship looks like on the other side of exhortation, of warning. Someone else has a break in your life. Someone else can slow things down. That's when they ask you questions. You're like, I don't want you to ask that question. Anybody have those, those kind of questions? You're like, what? I don't want that question right now because it makes me have to think about my, my heart. It makes me have to reflect on myself. Who will pray for you? Who will speak up? You know, does anybody here like a backseat driver? No one enjoys a backseat driver. Me neither. But this is a vital part of Christian discipleship, of Christian friendship, spiritual friendship that separates it from a bestie or a BFF. You know, on the positive side, it's encouragement. On the negative side, it's confrontation. It's challenge. It's speaking the truth in love. It's the brake pedal. You know, do you hear how different that is? You know, people show up here at church all the time looking for a best friend. 
There, you come to church, you're looking for a BFF. Uh, you know, and that's a buddy relationship that's based on sameness. Same hobbies, same stage of life, same history. And, and I think, however, we over and over confuse buddies with spiritual friends. Scott McKnight puts it this way, that real Christian friendship is a fellowship of difference with a T. Difference, like different kind of people. People you may have nothing in common with. Not samesy, samesy. Right? Uh, my experience of spiritual friendship is with, is with others who I'm saying, like, how are we friends? Like, this works, but I don't know how this works. We're really different. In season five of The Simpsons, that great show about friendship, there's an episode called Homer Loves Flanders. Now, uh, Flanders is his annoying neighbor. He's the one who's almost too good to be true, who says hideily hoedily and oakily doakily, right? Like, he's just that guy. Well, in this episode, sort of everything's flipped upside down, and the town turns against Flanders. Everybody's mad at him, and it's sort of toward the end of the show, they all end up in church together. Here's Homer and his family, and uh, church is starting, and Reverend Lovejoy's sermon that Sunday is on what Ned did. <laughs> That's the title of the sermon. What's wrong with Ned, in other words. So Ned comes into service after it started, and everybody turns around and glares at him. They're all mad at him, and he makes his way up to the only open seat, which is beside Homer. And as they're going through service, Homer's mouth breathing, and is driving Ned crazy. And he finally just kind of flips out and loses it and yells at Homer and shames him in front of everybody. And, of course, now all the ire of the entire congregation is like, let's kill Ned after church. That's kind of what's going on. Well, but this is when Homer stands up and intervenes. And I can't do Homer's accent. Sorry. I won't entertain you with that. But this is what he says. How dare you talk about Ned Flanders like that? He's a wonderful, kind, caring man, maybe even more so than me. There have been times, and been times when I lost patience with him, patience with him, even lashed out at him. But this man has turned every cheek on his body. If everyone here were like Ned Flanders, there'd be no need for heaven. We'd already be there. And Reverend Lovejoy says, mm, "I think we all know Ed, Ed, Ned, a heartfelt apology this morning. We were wrong to doubt him." And Marge says. That was very nice you did, homie. Right, you know, and Ned stands up and says, thank you. Thank you so much, Homer. You are, you are a true friend. Now, that, that's the way Simpson says. You laugh at it, and then suddenly they hit you in the feels. But there's something right about that. I mean, as silly as that example is, it's a fellowship of difference. It's a fellowship of difference. That's, this is test number two. How do you ha- know whether you have, a, have spiritual friendship Versus buddies? Does the other person ever speak up? Do you ever speak in? Do you ever confront one another? Do you ever challenge each other? Do you ever risk the relationship or risk not being liked for a moment? Right? Isn't that our biggest fear? Oh, they're not going to like me right now. Are you serious? That's BFF. That's buddies. That's not spiritual friendship. You know, a, a The Proverbs says this. Proverbs says, A wound of a friend is better than the kisses of an enemy. Wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. I bet that's hard for us to get our heads around. To have friendship 
where we move toward one another in a way that actually feels wounding because we're challenging, because we're speaking in, that's really foreign to American-style buddy relationships. But that's spiritual friendship. Let me speak to one thing before I go on. I know that one big barrier that's going up all over the place, invisible shields are flashing right now, up like this, inside and out, to this sermon is disillusionment. It's this sense of like, hey, I've tried this. You know, I've wanted this. I've hoped for this in church before, but I've been burned. And and I I just want to speak to that and say, I, I really understand that. I really understand that. You know, I, I, I wonder, though, if disillusionment is not part of the process for us, though. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that, he's the German pastor and theologian, who wrote this, innumerable times, a Christian community is broken down because it has sprung from a wish dream. But God speedily shatters those dreams. And Bonhoeffer He knew disappointment with the church on an epic scale. But he writes this, Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great sense of disillusion with with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. Disillusionment, he argues, is not an end of Christian community, but rather the beginning point. This is actually where you start. You can only know Christ in relationship with one another when our dreams have been shattered about getting everything I want fulfilled. And we see that there are broken sinners all around us. I mean, what's worse, they have to see us the same way. Like the first century Christians, all of us, we're going to utterly fail to live up to all of our desires and our ideals for this Christian life. We're going to fail over and over again. But Isn't our faith built on a man on a cross? And if that's the case, failure is not an end. It's a sign that, it's not a sign that it's it's all gone wrong, time to leave this church and find another one. No, you're just going to go to another church filled with sinners. Instead, it's a beginning. We find resurrection when we walk through death. And there's something about walking through that disillusionment. If you can stay with it, that's the beginning point for something real to happen. So, the enemy within, the, pr- the thing you can't go without, and finally, the practice of with. Now, my biggest fear in preaching this sermon this morning is that I'm just raising all these expectations and desires. You're like, finally, the pastor is guaranteeing friendship. This is what I've always wanted to hear. I can't wait for my new friend to show up. And, you know, CTK is going to deliver on this. And, you know, that's like Miss Piggy saying, it's a me party. Right? It's a me party. A party for myself. This is what's going to happen. Right? But this is a dangerous sermon. And we need to hear this last point. The practice of whiff. Let me just remind you of these things. You probably don't know this. Church is not a place uh, where all our friendship desires are fulfilled. Church is a place where we learn how to do spiritual friendship. Church is not a place where we're guaranteed a bestie. Church is a place where we learn to practice the motions of spiritual friendship. This, This is practice. 
I'm talking practice. This is practice, y'all. And that's what this last point is about, the practice of with. Do you know one of the greatest words, I can't remember who said this, uh, one of the greatest words in the New Testament is with. Over and over we read with. Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with. Right? The Spirit is given in a, as a permanent possession to Christians. You have a permanent withness from God. And He calls us as a church to practice with. To practice the with of one anothering. To practice the with of encouragement. To practice the with of hitting the break. This is why, incidentally, we do groups at CTK. We want everybody to be part of some kind of group where you can practice with. You can practice the motions of spiritual friendship. To, to practice one anothering. To practice encouraging. To practice hitting the break. And, and you can choose one, right? We've got youth group. We have Reform University Fellowship for university students, RUF. We have community groups. We have men's groups. We have sojourners. We have women's Bible reading. But the sad news is, and I've just got to give this disclaimer, all of them are filled with hypocritical sinners. There's room for more. We're glad to have you join us. Right? Self-reliant, self-trusting, I got this sinners. But you're very welcome to come. This is, these groups are like the practice facility. You know how, how uh, major league teams, they all have like the main place that they play, and then they have the practice facility. These groups are set up just to be practice facilities where we're learning to practice, put on the motions of spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship is regular, it's encouraging, it's bold, it's humble, it's tearful, even at times abrasive. But it means also trusting in God's sovereignty in your relationships. It, me it means not going to community group looking for samesy, samesy. Look, I'm happy if you find a bestie in our church. That's fine. That's just not what we're about. You know, our vision statement is not written that way. We're intentionally trying to be a church that crosses boundaries, where it's difference, a fellowship of difference. So I want you to be humming the, the words to Crosby, Stills, and Nash's song. You know, it's, it, it's in, they sing this. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I want you to look around at the people that God has put in your church. Put in your community and love the ones you're with. And, and practice trusting God that He's sovereign even over your relationships. You know, a fellowship of difference. So again, here's my application that every person at CTK would make a commitment to pursue spiritual friendship every week this year with others in the body of Christ. Now I'm saying every week, this passage says we need to encourage each other every day. So if you're like, hey, we have lunch every six weeks, that's probably not cutting it. But putting yourself in a position where you carve out space in your schedule, you prioritize, you protect, you, you, you pursue spiritual friendship with one another. Closing, let me just say this one thing. Uh, everybody's probably been on a trampoline. Yep. Been on a trampoline before? Okay, trampoline. Um, you know how a trampoline works. The energy you put into the trampoline is the energy that you get out of it, right? You, so if you jump really high and you come down and it springs you back up about the same height, right? That's how 
the trampoline works. And that's how most of the means of grace actually work. So like, you put energy into worship. You show up here on time. You show up here with a heart ready to worship. You've prayed about it in the car coming here. You're like, Lord, meet me this morning. Help me to, be, to worship you. Like, you put the energy into that, boom. You know, like, you're going to get that out of that. You put that into Bible reading. You put that into personal prayer. You put the, the energy that you put in is the energy you get out. Not the same, though, with spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship is like being on a trampoline with another person. You ever been on a trampoline with another person? All right, so if you time it right on a trampoline with another person, you're like, bing, 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 bing. You're going up and down, right? If you time it right, one of you can hit the trampoline in such a way that all of the energy you put down goes to that other person, and they go way high. Has anybody ever done that? I cannot do that. Okay, but I, I'm, I'm made to be the person at the bottom. You can tell, right? All right so, but, so the energy that you put in with two people on a trampoline doesn't always come back to you. And this is what spiritual friendship is like. Sometimes you're putting all the energy in and it seems like other people are flying high and you're like, what about me? You know, other times, other people are putting a lot of energy in. And you may be in a place where you're like, I've put a lot of energy into relationships in this church and I just don't feel like I'm going anywhere. And here's my call to you. Keep jumping. You know, I, I know it's your desire is like, I got to get off this trampoline. I'm tired of this. But here's my call to us. Will we keep jumping together? You know, I, God promises that he meets his people in the context of relationships with one another. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But as long as it's called today, every day, encourage each other so you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we confess to you how much we need faith to even believe this message and courage to overcome our disillusionment. Lord, we pray that you would meet us as a church. We pray that you would renew us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.